0: Well, good morning. Would you stand with us? And let's worship the Lord together. Welcome to Fellowship Bible Church this morning. We are so glad that you've joined us to worship the Lord our God together. My name is Pat Anderson. I'm one of the worship leaders here and I'm so glad to be back from vacation and be here with y'all today. Uh, If you are new to Fellowship, there's a lot of ways to get connected. We would love for you to just go to the center booth in the foyer and find someone with a name tag and say, hey, I'm new and get connected that way. But if you'd like to get connected via technology. There's many ways, too. You can scan the QR code. You can text hashtag new to the number on the screen. You can go to our website. Uh, Our goal is that you would get connected here at Fellowship, that you wouldn't get lost in the sea of faces or the crowd because we believe that the church has called, or God has called us to be the church, and we are one body with many members, and uh, we have the opportunity to worship together and to encourage one another to growth. There's a lot going on here and we want you to be connected. One of the ways that we make sure you get connected is by telling you about things. And that's what this time in the service is, but also uh, we want you to update your information online. Uh, Over the past few months, we've launched a new campus in Dentonville. And um, one of the things that we really want you to do is make sure you go online to your profile and say, hey, this is my home congregation. Uh, We want to make sure that we have your name right, your phone number right, your email right, but also your home congregation so that you get all the news about what's going on here uh, in your mailbox, wherever you get it. Uh, So if you would, please go online, update your information. Um, Next week, we have uh, a legacy gathering in the Family Center Auditorium. They're going to have a gathering and a brunch at 1030, so uh, make sure you put that on your calendar if you're part of the legacy ministry here at Fellowship. And then last thing I have before pitch to baptism this morning is we have a newcomers group that is launching this Tuesday in the RCO, and that's the Rogers Community Office at the back of campus. Um, And uh, a lot of community groups here take a break over the summer, but if you're new here, we want to have an opportunity for you to jump right into community and not have to wait for the fall. And so if that's you, we'd love you to be a part of our newcomers group launches this Tuesday. You can find more information online, or you can just show up at the RCO Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock. All right. It's with great privilege that I get to pass it on to Ryan to share this morning.
1: Yeah, thank you. Uh, My name is Ryan Brazil, um, and I'm Jack Coleman's cell group leader, along with a couple other guys in the back. Um, And over this past year, um, Jack, it has just been so cool for me to watch um, as you've just had, I feel like, this hunger... Uh, and desire to know more uh, and more about Christ in a really authentic way. Um, And it was just really cool for me a couple months ago um, when me and a few other um, guys from the cell group, you texted us and said that you had um, decided to accept uh, Christ and put your faith in him and ask um, the Holy Spirit into your heart. That was one of the the coolest nights of the year for me. And um, just an an encouragement to you this morning. um, I've got a verse I've been thinking about. um, It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. Uh, it says, be watchful, stand firm in your faith, be courageous, be strong, and let everything you do be done in love. Um, and Jack, I feel like just watching you, um, you've, you've already shown just a lot of courage and leadership in your faith. Um, if I can just brag on Jack and a few other guys from our cell group, um, they went on the spring break trip with FSM. And a couple weeks afterwards, I um, Uh, we leaders found out that these guys were like FaceTiming each other at night to talk about the Bible, to encourage each other, um, and just study it more. And I thought that was such um, amazing initiative uh, and leadership on you guys' part. And it was an an inspiration to me and an encouragement to me too. And Jack, I'm just really excited about what Christ is doing in your life. Um, And just the love that you show for your family and your friends, I just, uh, it's inspiring, man. So, um, I'm excited for you today. And just know that like as you continue um, in the, on this journey with Christ, you've got people all around you, family, uh, friend, friends who love you and are here to support you. So we're excited for you, man. I'm going to hand it over to JJ. Uh, this is Jack's dad. Thank you, Ryan. There you go, bud. Jack, first, I'm very proud of you.
2: We are very proud of you, and we love you very much, and we're very grateful for you. Just a couple of questions. Is it your testimony that you've accepted Jesus into your heart? Yes. And is it also that you will follow and serve him as your king for the rest of your life? Yes. Baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
0: It is right to celebrate that this morning, to celebrate changed life, that we believe that God is a God who saves. For many of us in this room, we can think back to that moment when we placed our faith in Christ, and we ask, where would we be without him? And this morning, we get to come together and, and worship. We get to come together and hear the preaching of the word, and we believe that God is here with us that the creator of the universe, the one who sustains it all, is not somewhere far away, but he is very near. And so as our call to worship this morning, I wanna look at the first seven verses of Psalm 95. And before we sing, How Great Thou Art, together, I want you to just take a moment and ponder on the majesty, the wonder of God as creator, but also reflect on his nearness that he is the Lord, our God, our maker. And the passage closes with this idea of hearing his voice. And so would you take some time and reflect on this with me this morning? Psalm 95 verse one, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song, for the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. Reflect on his greatness and his majesty and prepare your heart to sing that truth this morning. The passage continues. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Take a moment to think on his creation, the beauty of the sunrise, the beauty of the nice weather. Just thank him for creation this morning. gives us another invitation. Come in response to this, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. He made us just like he made everything else. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Take a moment and reflect that even though we are creation, like the birds and the animals and the dry land and the sea, that we are different, we are made in the image of God and God calls us his people, and he is our shepherd. Thank him for being the good shepherd, for his love for you this morning. The passage continues. Today, if only you would hear his voice. This isn't the last verse in this chapter or this psalm, but it's where I want us to stop today and ponder. Would we hear the voice of the Lord through the chaos of everything that is going on in in the world around us? Would we stop and in this place, would we acknowledge his presence and would we say, God, speak to me? Take a moment to pray that prayer and then we will have the opportunity to continue to sing and worship
3: together this morning.
0: Would you stand with us and let's sing. How great is the Lord our God. Continue to join with creation and sing this morning.
2: With a thousand hallelujahs, we magnify your name. You alone deserve the glory, the honor, and the praise. Lord Jesus, this song is for
0: Is truth, that the Lord reigns, and that the earth be glad. You may be seated Let's so reflect on God as creator, as we sing of his power, the truth that he has the whole world in his hands. If fall. with us this morning. This is my Seems off so strong. You're the ruler, yet such comforting words and such a comforting truth. God, would you show us and reveal to us your power over all things? Lord, you reign. As we approach your word this morning, would we allow you to have the rule and reign in our own lives as we follow hard after you and as we walk by your spirit? God, would we hear your voice? we obey. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
3: So what would God have to do to convince you that he is real? What would he have to do to prove to you that he genuinely exists, that he is present and active in this world, and that he actually cares about what's going on in your life? What would God have to do? What would he have to do to persuade you that he is enough, that he is wise enough, that he is loving enough, that he is powerful enough to help you find peace? and contentment in life. What if he changed water to wine? Would that convince you? What if he healed the sick or if he fed 5,000 men with just a few loaves and a couple of fish? What if he walked on water? What would he have to do to prove to you that he's worthy of your worship? That he is worthy of your trust in life and your obedience. I want you to open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John, fourth book in your New Testament. We've been studying it this summer. This New Testament narrative was actually written to persuade you, to convince you that Jesus is not just a good moral teacher or a religious figure, John is providing evidence to validate Jesus as the the Messiah, as the Savior, as the one sent by God to save you, to save me from our sin. The one who can lead us to eternal life in heaven and abundant life here on earth. And part of John's content and his persuasive argument is the miracles. John calls them signs. They are supernatural manifestations of God's divine power that came from the hand or the word of Jesus. Moments in time that set him apart as one sent from heaven. Now John's gospel includes seven signs or seven miracles. We've been studying them this summer. Of the 35 miracles that came from the life of Christ, John chose to share only seven. The wedding at Cana where he turned water to wine. The healing of an official's son from a distance. The healing of the invalid at the pool of Bethesda. The feeding of the 5,000 with two fish and five small barley loaves. The walking on water we'll look at today. The healing of a blind man and the raising of his friend Lazarus from the dead. We've covered four of these thus far. We have three to go in this second section of our study of the Gospel of John. So today, the miracle of Jesus walking on water. Open your Bibles to John chapter six. In John chapter six, we'll see John's account, his point of view of this miracle that occurred on the Sea of Galilee. Let me read you John's words as he describes this event. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. And they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. He walked on water. He walked on water. I think we take it for granted sometimes. It's a familiar story. It's a familiar way to describe Jesus. The disciples were three to four miles from the shore, well into their journey to Capernaum, and Jesus walked on the sea to meet them. He walked on the surface of the waters as though they were solid ground. He did so without falling in and without getting wet. These were not merely shallow waters, as some critics have suggested. He was not walking near the shore. Nor was he aided by a path of stones or, as one recent critic suggested, a thin layer of ice. (laughs) Can't make this stuff up. (laughs) On either side. (laughs) His criticism or our belief in this miracle. Jesus walked on water. His divine power defied physical laws. He disrupted The natural order. He displayed supernatural power and in it he offered compelling evidence that he is not of this world. And it was actually his second miracle in less than 12 hours. Earlier in the day he miraculously fed the multitudes by turning just a few loaves and a couple of fish into a meal that filled the bellies of 5,000 men plus women and children. The feeding was his most public miracle But after the crowds dispersed and it was well into the night, he moved his miraculous powers from being displayed on land to now being displayed on sea. And he had another miracle that was only witnessed by his disciples. Jesus walking on water is captured in three of the four gospel accounts. It's recorded, as we'll see today in John chapter six, but also in Matthew 14, and in Mark 6. And John's account is actually the shortest of the three. It only contains six verses. Matthew's account is the longest one. It actually includes a special episode featuring Peter. We'll discuss that later. Now, in order to truly grasp the holistic picture of everything that happened on the waters, we need to study All three accounts simultaneous. And that's what we're going to uh, attempt to do. So at no extra cost to you, you're going to get three passages for the price of one today. We'll study all three accounts. We're going to anchor in the John account and use Matthew and Mark as color commentary. Let's work through it verse by verse. John chapter 6 verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. This miraculous event occurred after the feeding of the 5,000. The event was over. Darkness had come and it was time to depart. They were in a remote place. The disciples went down to the shore of the Sea of Galilee and they boarded a boat and set off for Capernaum which was their home base for their ministry and they were worn out tired from a full day of serving weary from their ongoing ministry tour and still grieving the loss of their dear friend John the Baptist he had been beheaded by Herod Antipas who ruled over Galilee and they had gone to get his body and Buried him just before the miraculous feeding. So the disciples were heartbroken and exhausted. And if you remember, just prior to the feeding of the 5,000, they had sought solitude. Jesus was trying to, to get them away for some private moments of refreshment. But the crowds found out their location. And when the crowd showed up, the disciples served and ministered well into the evening. John notes that Jesus was not yet with them. He anticipates that Jesus will join them later. Matthew's account adds detail. He said that Jesus made the disciples leave. It seems there were still ministry duties to be done, and the disciples did not want to leave Jesus there to handle them by by himself. So while the crowd still lingered from the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, Jesus insisted that the disciples leave while he wrapped things up and dismissed the stragglers. Mark noted that they would go to Bethsaida. There are some location difficulties between the accounts. Some believe that Mark meant that they would go down to Bethsaida from the feeding of the 5,000 location and sail from there. Others believe that there was another Bethsaida across the sea that was a suburb of Capernaum. Well, the disciples were going to travel from the east side of the sea to the west side, across the top of the lake. All three accounts note that Jesus was not in the boat with them. Disciples were sent ahead and there was no discussion of how Jesus would join them or when he would join them. Matthew and Mark both tell us what Jesus did While the disciples got a head start, he went up on a mountain and spent some private time in prayer. He took time for solitude and rest and prayer in the midst of his weariness. In the middle of his grief, Jesus sought refreshment. You know, the Bible teaches us that we are to have a work rest rhythm. The Bible starts with that in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, the creation account The Lord modeled for us six days of work and then he entered into rest, ceased from work on the seventh day. And in the life and ministry of Christ, we often see him take time for solitude and rest and prayer and not only for himself, but also for his men. The scriptures emphasize the importance of not only a strong work ethic, but also caring for our own souls with times of rest. We often say around fellowship that being comes before what? Doing. It's essential that we incorporate rhythms of devotion and prayer and rest into our lives, and this is especially important in times of busyness or grief or extreme pressure. So Jesus dismissed the crowds. He sent the disciples ahead and then he went alone to the mountainside to pray. And I kept, can't help but think that if Jesus, the Lord, needed rest and times of devotion and prayer, why would we think that we would not need the same thing? Do you practice the discipline of solitude? Do you take time to be alone and quiet, And engage in prayer. Is refreshing your soul a part of your daily and weekly rhythm? We need to practice Sabbath rest where we cease from work, where we take time to unplug and turn off our phone, our text, our email, our notifications, and the television and just be with the Lord. Some people confuse rest with play. True rest is not replacing work with pleasure like going to the lake or playing golf or watching a movie or getting your nails done. Relaxing is of value, but Sabbath rest is different. It's not just escaping our work or having a good time. It's an intentional time of reflection and restoration and replenishment of the body and the the soul and our mind and our emotions. And the scriptures actually, actually make a declaration about rest it says that rest is holy, therefore it's valuable. We don't rest just to get ready for more work. Rest is a worthy pursuit in and of itself. It has standalone value. It is sanctified and it is sacred and it is a way to glorify God and it is very un-American. Some of you right now are saying, yeah, I'll rest and our company will get behind Yeah, I'll rest and my competitor will get ahead of me. Yeah, I'll rest and be a loser. See, in America, we say work hard, play hard. And we work hard so that we can play hard. Psalm 46 gives us a great reminder. This will be a verse to meditate on this week. The Lord declares, be still. Be still and know that I am God. Soul care, our vertical relationship with the Lord, abiding in Christ needs to be a priority in our lives. And so the Lord Jesus took time and went up on the mountainside to pray. And while he was on the mountain, the disciples found themselves trying to row across the sea in a storm. Let's pick it back up, John chapter six, verse 18 A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. As the disciples attempted to cross to Capernaum, they hit an obstacle. Suddenly, as it can happen on the Sea of Galilee, strong winds came through, which created rough seas and therefore difficult sailing conditions. A full boat traveling into a strong headwind turned a routine ferry ride into a struggle. And in those conditions, the ordinary became hazardous. So they were in a boat, in the water, in the middle of a lake, in a bad storm, and it was really dark. Matthew described the boat as being far from shore and being buffeted by the waves. It was being battered by the sea. The disciples were well into their journey, but they had hit a wall. In the face of extreme winds, they were making little progress. If you've ever tried to ride or row or run into the wind, you know that it's not easy. It requires extra power. It requires us to put out double or even triple the effort to attain normal speeds. So the disciples were struggling. They were weary from the ministry. They were wearing themselves out in their effort to get to their destiny the nation. They desperately needed the rest on the other side of the lake, but they were running out of gas to get there. Mark describes them as straining at the oars. As the wind beat down on them, every stroke made their muscles burn. They were working hard, but not making any further progress. And don't forget that several of these men were experienced sailors who were on their home Waters Yet here they were, stalled out and exhausted. Have you ever felt like that? Like there was a a constant struggle in life, that you were giving maximum effort, but making little progress. The disciples were straining at the oars, rowing with all their might. Yet they were stuck in the storm. But note, Mark's gospel says Jesus saw them. Even though he was away from them, he saw them. Even though they were facing adversity, they were still under his watchful eye. Don't assume that when we face harsh struggles in life that God has forgotten us. Or that he's turned his face away from us. Or that we're not important to him. There is no trouble, there is no struggle that can remove us from his providential care. Some believe that if we're obedient to God, we won't face any struggles. They believe that our obedience will earn his blessing and that doesn't seem to be the case here. Think about it. The disciples are doing exactly what Jesus asked them to do. And where did that get them? Right in the middle of a storm. Bible commentator Kent Hughes said this. They were in the midst of a storm because they were obedient to God. Take that in. They were in the midst of a storm because they were obedient to God. Those who decide to follow Christ and give him their allegiance will face contrary winds. No doubt about it. Being obedient to Jesus does not come with a guarantee of a trouble free life. This scene on the lake is far from a health and wealth promise of what many call the prosperity gospel that preaches success and material wealth and physical health comes to those who obey the Lord. And you'll find smiling preachers late at night on weird channels giving you these promises. I don't see it in the scriptures. The disciples had served all day. They had followed the Lord's command. They had worn themselves out for his cause. And what was their reward? A storm. If anything, the Bible promises us that those who live a Christ-centered life will find trials and persecutions and sufferings. The disciples were in the middle of God's will and they were stuck in the middle of a lake. The next verses reveal both the length of the disciples' struggle and how little progress they had made. They had been rowing all night. It says in Matthew and Mark that it was just before dawn and they had only made it three miles. Look at John 6 verse 19. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, And they were frightened. Jesus left his mountaintop time of prayer to go rescue his men. In an act of supernatural power, he walked on water to reach them. He walked three to four miles into the middle of the lake. And just before dawn, in the middle of the night, with no boat to help, no bridge, no path, he showed himself to have power over the natural world. And when he walked on the raging sea, he showed himself superior to the very thing which was causing the disciples trouble. And they saw him. And when when he appeared, it was so odd, so amazing, so unbelievable that it actually frightened the disciples. It was the middle of the night and they saw this human form walking or hovering over the raging sea. And through eyes of fear and certainly not faith, they assumed a false conclusion that this was a further threat. What would you have thought if you saw him walking on the raging sea? Well, Matthew and Mark record the initial response of the disciples. They thought Jesus was a ghost and they cried out in fear. They were startled. They were terrified and they were so surprised that they actually had an in voluntary, audible response. They cried out. Their fight-or-flight mechanism was triggered. Has that ever happened to you? That maybe you were walking on a trail, saw a snake, and your involuntary, audible response came out, and you, ah! Or have you ever scared your wife? (laughs) I love doing that. (laughs) They could not believe their eyes. They cried out in fear because they felt threatened. The appearance of Jesus walking on the water towards them escalated an already perilous situation. Not only were they in hazardous waters, but now they were being visited by some sort of ghostly apparition in the darkness of night. But look at John chapter 6, verse 20. Jesus disarmed the situation. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. In response to the terrified disciples, Jesus identified himself and offered words of peace. He said, don't be afraid. I am not a ghost. I am not a threat. I am not a danger, so you need not fear. It is me, the Lord, your familiar friend. I am a help, not a hazard. You don't need to be concerned. In fact, be comforted. I've come to save you, not to sink you. Matthew and Mark add the phrase, take courage. In other words, face your circumstances without fear. Be brave because you're now with me. Find strength in my presence. The one who possesses divine power, the Lord of all creation, is here. It is I. Now, that phrase in the original language, the Greek language, is the, the Greek says Ego Ami. Ego Amy. It is I. Do you know what it literally translates as? I am. Does that sound familiar? That phrase in the original language is a sacred phrase, it's a revered phrase. It represents the most holy and personal name of God. When Moses asked God, when he was sent to the Israelites. Who shall I tell them Sent me? The Lord said, tell them I am sent you. I am, meaning the one who exists, the one who is, the present one, the one who causes things to be. And the book of John records Jesus wearing this phrase out. Two times he refers to himself as the I am. This is one of them. Seven times he makes I am statements attaching the sacred phrase to a metaphor or an illustration. Jesus identified himself as the one and only God of heaven. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The God of Israel. The God who made the walls fall down at Jericho. That God, I am, is here. So take courage. Now, it's at this point that Matthew's gospel is going to add further material. There's an episode where Peter actually gets out of the boat and for a time walks on water. But we're not studying Matthew. We're studying what? So that's your homework assignment. Read up on Matthew 14. We'll save Peter's story for another day. John chapter 6 verse 21 wraps up his account. Then, after they recognized Jesus, after he assured them, it is I, then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. When the disciples realized who Jesus was, they were willing to receive him into the boat. When they concluded that he was God and not a ghost, they welcomed him on board, and and John adds a miraculous finish to the journey. What the disciples could not accomplish in rowing all night, Jesus did instantaneously. He finished the journey across the lake and they immediately reached their destination. Have you ever been on a really long journey and you're trying to get home and you're worn out? Maybe it's a 12-hour car ride home from the beach with sand everywhere, your wallet's empty, and you're paying five bucks a gallon. And you just wish that you could blink your eyes and be in your bed. Anybody? Have you ever been on an international flight And everybody on the plane smells, and you just wish you could blink your eyes and be home? Jesus did that for his weary men. They had been rowing all night, straining at the oars. And he immediately took them across to Capernaum. Matthew and Mark add a miraculous calming of the storm to his walking on water. You could call this three miracles. Christ's presence not only brought peace in the boat, but also peace on the waters. When Jesus climbed into the boat, it says that the winds died down. We see here that the natural world was bowing down to his power and his presence, and the disciples did so as well. In response to Christ walking on the water and calming the storm, they worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, this is interesting Because the disciples had just witnessed a major miracle when Jesus miraculously fed the multitudes. Yet it was in the boat on the Sea of Galilee that they actually confessed that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah. Mark even records that they had not fully understood who Jesus was. Because their hearts were hardened to the true identity of Jesus that was revealed in the multiplying of the fish and the loaves. It seems like the Gospels portray the faith of the disciples as a progression over time, both in depth and in clarity of their understanding. Their childlike faith that we saw emerge in John chapter 2 is growing to more fully accommodate the fullness of the revelation of God concerning Jesus as the Messiah. And I found that to be true of us as well. That as we move from unbelief and skepticism to believing in Jesus as the Savior, whether we do that when we're a child or as a teenager or as a college student or an adult, we're not done yet. And the picture we see of Jesus becomes more clear. It becomes more broad and and more deep. And over time, we move from salvation, that initial phase of belief, to sanctification, and we progress and, mature. and I think the pattern we see of the disciples is the pattern that we see in ourselves. Here, they were amazed. Truly, you are the son of God. The one who walked on water and ruled the wind and the waves was worthy of their worship and worthy of their trust as well. They moved from fear to peace. And I think we could learn well from their example. Because I believe that like the disciples, we are going to face adversity in our life we are going to face difficulty and struggle and hardship. Whether trials or persecution or broken hearts or dealing with broken people, we will be battered by the winds and the waves at certain times in our lives. And in those times, it is really important that when we hit the wall, when we're out of gas in our faith tank, we need to remember that the captain of our souls walked on water. He walked on water. We need to remember who our God truly is. That we are loved by the one who commands the wind and the waves. That we serve the creator of the universe. One whose power knows no boundary or no limit. Who cannot be contained. One who cannot be prevented from enacting his will. We need to remember that we're never out of his sight. We're never out of his reach or outside of his ability to rescue us and that we're never alone. Because he walks on water, we can truly sing, it is well with my soul. So whatever you're facing today, be reminded that you're God The Lord Jesus Christ, the captain of your soul, walked on water. I've built in time for us to close our service in prayer. Would you bow your head with me? And I want you to visualize yourself walking away from your work, walking away from your responsibilities, away from your to-do list, And go sit down on a mountainside by yourself. And I'm gonna give you some time. It's built into the service. Don't worry, you're gonna make it till brunch. To just pray. And I want you to pray for something in the world. That should be easy. And I'm gonna ask you to pray for someone you love. And then pray for something in your life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Pray for something that's going on in the world. Continue to pray for those in Ukraine. For those in Uvalde. For those in Buffalo. For our friends in Tulsa. For comfort and grief. For peace in the middle of chaos. And now pray for someone you love. Someone who's out there in the middle of the lake. Struggling. Struggling against the winds. Cover them in prayer. And now pray for a need in your the storm you're facing right now. Well, Lord, we desperately need you. And we can't do it without you. So we lift up those we love, and we lift up those things in our life. I pray you would hear these prayers and come to rescue in your power and your strength. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.
0: a moment to rest in the truth that through it all, Jesus is with us. The Holy Spirit, his presence is with us. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. May it be well with our souls. Lord, we declare that you alone are worthy of our lives and of our praise. So we thank you for the word This morning, God, we thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your presence that will even go with us as we leave this place. Would you teach us to trust you more? Would you help us to walk by your spirit daily? Because we believe that in your presence there is fullness of joy. So may we be a people of hope and a people of joy, people of peace. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning, fellowship. If you'd like prayer this morning, we have Scott and Cindy Thompson in the prayer room. They'd love to pray with you for you. Go in peace this week in the love of Christ.